Hello and welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's podcast all about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and the nuance behind the headlines. My name is Alex and I'm joined today by, well, the crew and a lot of friends. We'll get to that in a second. But first of all, I have in one corner, Marianne Azevedo. Marianne, my dear friend, welcome to the last recording of the year. Tell me all the things you're feeling. Wow. Emotional, oddly emotional, sad, kind of hopeful and excited about a new year that hopefully will be better than this one was. Yes. 2022, not better than 21, not better than 20. In fact, maybe worse. Natasha, how are you feeling? And are you optimistic about next year? Are you feeling good? I'm optimistic because I'm going to be on PTO through the end of the year, hopefully soon. (laughs) And I can't believe there was a time where I was chatting Maggie about maybe not taking time off. I am very much taking time off. Goodbye, everyone. We'll talk about New Year and no sooner than that. Um, and uh, the New Year talk is actually relatively appropriate because we are coming off of the back of our year in review show, if you will. And we're going to be doing predictions today, looking into the future, trying to figure out what is coming down the pike. And because that conversation is better with more voices, we have friends with us today. We also have Teresa Loconsolo, usually behind the dials and blinky lights. We have Maggie Stamets, formerly of the Equity family, but has gone on to other pastors, including found and rival internal podcasts. And our dear friend, Becca Skutak from the TechCrunch Plus team and a frequent equity contributor. Those three are going to join us in a minute after we grade last year's predictions. And this is usually a little bit dicey because we're kind of giving ourselves a grade. But hey, why not? It's our damn show. We'll do our own thing. Uh, And so, Natasha, I want to start with you. and I want you to tell us what you predicted last year and critically how you're grading yourself. Okay. And then I'll grade you for you. But I want to hear your own grade first. Okay. Interesting. I'm going to I guess since I'm going first, I'm going to choose that we will all be doing a one to ten scale. One being horrible. Ten being amazing. How did you do this? We should be VCs. We predicted the future so well. Um, so, so my first, my, my first few. So, funding marketplaces will make a comeback. Startup in a box will become more standard, and more companies will be working climate focused practices into their models. I started with those three because I feel like they were all kind of niche startup strategy tweaks that I was predicting, which can tell you about how risky I was being last year in terms of my predictions. And I don't know. I guess I would give them like a a four, like. They would have been a six because they weren't entirely wrong, but they were so lame that like I want to talk myself down a few <laughs> points too. They were just kind of, all right, nice. People care about climate. They, they did, Alex, as Tim from your team wrote about so eloquently, climate has become a beat in and of itself in a way that it wasn't at the time. It was more kind of like, is a sector going to be another hype sector? Now it's like, oh, there's like, you know, a lot of real money and real innovation coming. So it wasn't bad. Okay. So you're giving yourself kind of an aggregate four out of 10. Yes. And, and and my only other one was like startup PR is going to look different and we're going to lean away from funding rounds, which to that I will say, I'll give myself an aid. I stopped really covering funding round stories. So go me. Okay. It's different. I made it happen. <laughs> Three fours and an eight. Yeah. Uh, that averages out to an F minus, yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, you know what? Uh, well, actually, no, a D, a D. I think it's actually a D minus. I was like, I wasn't a math person. It, it's late December. I'm all out of brain at this point in time. So we'll <laughs> go ahead and say Natasha doesn't pass. And that's okay. Because <laughs> predictions are not meant to be very good. Marianne, next over to you. Tell us what you had in mind and tell us how you did. Okay. It was my first year of doing predictions. So, you know, I have to disclaimer there. One, this one I actually is, is comical now. I'm about to read out loud. Crypto becoming more regulated. Oh, brutal. <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, obviously that was more wishful thinking and hoping than a true prediction. 
Second, higher demand for startup in a box services as people start their own businesses. Natasha had the, a similar one as well. I'll comment on that in a minute. Third, more space rental businesses, smaller scale Airbnb types, you know, for different types of things. Okay, so Obviously, I bombed the first one again. It was more of hope than true prediction. <laughs> Second, what I saw rather than people starting their own businesses like startup in a box was a lot more companies trying to help people hire remotely. Like that was the big thing I felt I saw last year. It was like a lot of companies either starting to do that, like helping companies like like do things like employer of record, you know, in, in another country or companies that didn't do that, but then added it on to their offerings. So, you know, I don't know how I did on that one. And then the last one, I feel like was probably the my best prediction, because I did, I did see more companies that were and, and I really actually like this model of companies taking existing things like property lands or whatever, repurposing it for other things so that you're not building new stuff that you don't need to like pool rental marketplace where you can go rent someone's pool, you know, for like an hour or two, things like that. The company Swimply raised a lot of money last year. Uh, so that trend is continuing. Swimply. Swimply. TBT. It's a Swimply. Yeah. That's the worst name I've ever heard. I know. It's not great, is it? Mary, you weren't you weren't super off because uh, you we talked about this on equity last week where it was like that company that like helps you get uh, what's it called? Resort pass. Resort passes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Resort yeah. pass. Wow. Yeah. Better name than Swimply. <laughs> yeah. Swimply makes me want to die inside. Resort pass makes sense. <laughs> Swimply reminds me of Wimply, of Diary of a Wimpy Kid. So anyway, I don't know. Like grade, I'd, I'd have to one to ten. Mm, five, maybe. You guys are so hard on yourselves. You could have spun this way better and made yourself look a lot better. Let me show you how to take a turd <laughs> and polish it up. Uh, let's see. So my my first prediction was general bullishness in the tech sector will persist into 2022. Now I could do what you guys said and oh, say, hey, oh, oh. that didn't pan out. But my prediction was will persist into 2022. I didn't say how far and it did last for upwards of seven days. So 10 out of 10, A+. Plus. <laughs> The passion economy isn't sustainable. Nailed it. Who talks about creators these days? A nobody. 10 out of 10. A plus once again. The metaverse will remain niche. In fact, this was too kind because the metaverse doesn't even really exist or have users. So 11 out of 10. Fantastic. <laughs> and there'll be more blocked tech mergers. I'll take the Activision, Blizzard, Microsoft, FTC thing in hand and go, haha, nailed it. Uh, so I think that I'm uh, modern day Nostradamus. Oh my God. That's what I think. King of predictions. <laughs> Are you kidding me? See, but I could have spun them as follows. First prediction, wrong. Second prediction, too easy. Third prediction, just making fun of Mark Zuckerberg. And fourth prediction, meh. So I could have given myself a four or five, but if you, you guys got to do more PR for yourselves. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, far too, far too negative. Yours were pretty good though. Alex, I have to admit they, they were pretty good. All right, next year though, like I'm being kind of crazy this year. I'm just wait. I have crazy predictions. We're going to wild out, but let's bring in the rest of our of our family here. In one corner, we have Teresa. Please say hello so everyone can hear your voice. Hello, hello. I'm on mic. Woo! <laughs> and Becca, say hi. Hey, guys. And finally, but definitely not least, Maggie Stamets. Maggie, say hi. Hello. Oh, my God. All right. So that is the, the full crew, and we are going to start, Natasha, with a section that we're calling Startup Trends. So predictions for next year about startups. Take it away. Okay. I have two. The first is I think we're going to see the return of stealth companies, companies that 
are like not going to talk to press, probably only have a landing page and kind of just be really obscure until they're everywhere and have raised like a 300 million Series D. And I think that's just because there's less power. I, I think founders are realizing kind of the power of over pitching and overselling their product. And maybe last year I could have been like manifesting less funding rounds. This year, I think funding rounds will continue to obviously happen and those stories will be covered in some capacity on TC and other outlets. But I just do think some of the best companies will be will take a quieter approach due to lessons learned of the downturn and just how many founders have been biting their words as they've had to commit layoffs kind of right after saying that there's nothing that's going wrong here. One can only hope one yeah. can only hope that you're right. <laughs> I mean, and it's weird because I don't want there to be the return of stealth companies. I would love to talk about the new company that's like going to change the world before anyone else does. But I also think it's probably healthy for the ecosystem to turn inwards for a little bit. And then my other big prediction, which got enough controversy on Twitter, is that I definitely think we're going to see the return of the five-day work week in person for tech workers. And I'm saying that because I feel like everyone is low-key colluding now that there is less kind of worker flexibility and just less hiring that employers know their employees are less likely to jump ship. They can take their power back and and make them go in person. Of course, there's exceptions. Of course, maybe the earliest stage startups won't care, but I don't know. I actually think more people than we think are going to be surprised beyond big tech. And that's based on what founders are telling me too, for what it's worth. Those are my two yeah, big I, ones. I, I saw you talk about this on Twitter and people were like attacking you for their <laughs> prediction. And I was like, no, you don't understand. She's not advocating this one way or the other. She's saying this is what she thinks will happen. And people took that as like a moral judgment and were like, oh my God, going back to the office, how terrible. And I was like, <laughs> I, I, get off your soapbox for a second and just realize that we're riffing yes. and calm down. I muted that person. I also um, was going <laughs> to say, like in 2020, I was doing a lot of like manifesting my predictions. And this year, I'm just actually going to try and predict. And I agree. I'm not like, yes, let's be work from office. But I am just like, what is probably going to happen this? Well, we'll see if you actually go to the office next year. Actually, here's a fun game. What is the first time next year Natasha will actually go to the San Francisco office? It's going to be, I guarantee it, October (laughs) for Disrupt. (laughs) September. It'll be September. Yeah, September. (laughs) Disrupt's in September. It's it's going to be September because of Disrupt. I, I work here. Definitely. Uh, Let's move along though. (laughs) Teresa, you have something about a particular type of startup. Yeah. So kind of going off of what Natasha was saying, it seems like layoffs have gotten everybody thinking about what the workplace structure is going to be like next year. So I was thinking more along the lines of just getting employees and keeping employees from there. So kind of a a vague prediction, just that there's going to be an uptick in HR and staffing focused startups. So I'm trying to find a silver lining here. I know Marianne's prediction goes right into this. Just to let you know, though, I think we did already. I think you're on the right track because we saw a lot of HR tech companies do pretty well this year when it came to like fundraising and things like that. So um, he could definitely be on the right track. So yeah, one of my predictions this year, and again, I feel like I'm doing maybe wishful thinking again, companies will approach hiring with a more disciplined mindset, especially in sectors like fintech, where there have been so many mass layoffs this year. They will be more realistic about the future when considering how many people to hire. I mean, I hope so. Like, I hope that CEOs, founders, executive teams are just more thoughtful about how they approach hiring and they think 
more long-term and not just be like looking at the immediate future because these are people's lives, you know, like that you have to think about. They're not just like, oh, there's a position that has to be filled because we want to be able to do this. No, these are people's lives. You know, like how many companies did we hear about where they uh, hired someone and then like they were doing layoffs weeks later or made an offer and rescinded? I mean, just totally be more thoughtful. Do you really need to hire for this role? Could it be a contractor position? Is this the best time for it? Things like that. Another prediction, fintech will likely see more consolidation, even among smaller players and maybe especially among smaller players who realize it makes more sense financially and otherwise to team up than continue to compete. And this actually flows really well into something that, that Becca, you had in mind about uh, overall M&A volume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I tried to look into startups acquiring other startups literally about six months ago, and I'm kind of looking back into it now. Because at the time, there's a lot of momentum around it. A couple of VCs I spoke to were very bullish on it. Oh, yeah, we'll see a lot of startups acquiring other startups. But then it didn't happen at such a scale. And then I was chatting with someone last week, a VC, and then it hit me. The valuations were still too high. So now looking into 2023, we just saw, I never pronounce it correctly, Gatir, Gatir buys gorillas in the grocery delivery company at a 61% decrease in the valuation. And I was like, now we're going to start to see a lot of this going into next year as companies finally kind of come to terms with maybe they were overvalued, maybe they need the help more than they were willing to admit four or five months ago. So I have a strong feeling that's going to be a big part of 2023 is sort of now we've come to agreements on these valuations, and that will cause more M&A. But my second prediction, very related to that, because of valuations, secondary is going to become crazy next year too. Secondary saw a pretty, I don't want to say a big slowdown, but definitely less activity than 2021 this year, especially through uh, Q3. And I was chatting with a secondaries player about this, and he said, well, the prices are just still too high. You would never go in on some of the companies who raised at crazy valuations last year because even coming in now, it just like hasn't come down far enough. A VC last week told me they hired someone to start doing secondary stakes for the firm. And she too said, even right now, valuations are still too high for meaningful secondary movement. But seems like companies are going to run out of money. Things are going to continue in the direction they're going next year, most likely. And I think a byproduct of that will be valuations will fall enough that we will actually start to see meaningful secondaries activity pick back up next year, which could get really crazy really quickly. Well, that's going to be fun for us to watch. I mean, not to be macabre about it, but if there's a lot of secondary activity, we'll get a lot of data points about what things are actually worth, which will help us understand kind of where startups really are and how the public market's changing has really impacted ye little companies. So I'm looking forward to that. I'll throw mm-hmm. in one of mine while we're here. I-, I think the idea that tech companies or just companies in general being infinite software sponges is a little bit wrong. During the 2021 boom, people made a SaaS tool for everything and anything, no matter how big or how small, because everyone was buying software, trying to get that incremental productivity out of their staff. And I think we're going to see a lot of resetting people going from multi-vendors to one for a particular class of product and just people trying to simplify their overall software stack. And I think this is going to harm some startups that are getting their kind of foot into the market. And I think it's going to be a, a bit of an issue for some companies, but that's predicated on the economy falling apart next year, which everyone seems to think is going to happen. So we'll have to see if that shakes out. And speaking of things falling apart, Natasha, the media. (laughs) Hey. Oh, no. So our, little, our little domicile of the business world. You've got a couple of things there. What's going on next year in media? You know, I wish I had predicted this last year, but I will predict this year instead, which is that the 
term community will continue to suffer as kind of a startup strategy. I think it was very much a result of a bull cycle. Startups having extra cash to be able to kind of say, we're investing in community. We're going to hire our head of community. And it's all about focused on creating like online and offline events. My my positive tweak is that while I don't think companies are going to keep throwing events or group hangouts as much, we might see them start to focus more on internal, what's it called? Culture? Yeah, internal culture, but like internal like vibe. Like I think people are sad at their companies right now. And I think that startup founders are gonna have more pressure to like try and cultivate a better energy and like happiness, honestly, in, in their companies. And so I think that there's there was no focus on really internal community as community because it was all about customers. And I think and I'm hopeful mm. that maybe going back to Becca's prediction, we'll see people kind of turn turn inwards a little bit. Sorry, Marianne's prediction, where we'll see people start to like uh, invest more on kind of retention and and stuff like that. Do you think that that's going to come with more tools or startups focused on like cultivating those internal vibes? Because like, I don't know, we all got the invite for the like virtual Christmas party. And I was honestly like, I don't want to do that. I like loved hanging out with you guys all in person at Disrupt, but like sitting on a Zoom call with 50 people feels like a bummer. And so so I'm just like, there has to be better tools if we want to have more like virtual internal hangs. I completely agree. And I was the one guilty as charged yeah. that like posted in water cooler and was like, we should all hang out. Oh, no. <laughs> Thanks, no, Natasha. It's, it's true because your heart was in the right place, though. Come on. I mean, and it's it still is. I think it's fine. But I also think I agree, Maggie, that it's like, I mean, for me, like, I'll be honest, like the reason I wanted to do it was I was like, all right, we get like the stipend and we should spend it and hang out with each other. We can weeks we can expend stuff for virtual hangouts we can with staff yeah and so it's like we should do that that said i i feel like it's never fun to sit on a zoom with a few people like i feel like it should be three people at most yeah <laughs> even people yeah. like we don't do it you know what i mean like we all like each other so much but we don't do it because it's ex- exhausting and kind of awkward so I guess to answer your question, Maggie, I don't think it'll solve with like a startup focusing on retention because that'll feel really like clinical and and obvious. And at the same time, I don't think it'll happen with like some of those startups that like we're trying to make us like speed date our coworkers. So I don't know who's going to make it happen now that you say it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I was going to say I wrote about a company last year. I don't remember now at all and a startup. And that, that was one of their goals was like to improve kind of have morale, boost morale within companies to like come up with different, I guess, functions that you could do online. Anyway, this was, I think was more prevalent in the beginning of the pandemic and the onset of the pandemic when everybody had switched to virtual after being in person. So I don't, I don't know, Maggie actually brings up a really great point as to what happened to those companies now as more people are returning to the office. Mm. Also like offsites. Mm -hmm. I feel like, can we predict offsites are coming back? Yeah. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Whoever's listening. Everyone is so sick right now between like RSV, the flu, cold and COVID. I feel like, I mean, I don't know how stoked people are going to be about going to an offsite next year and like being in a crowded room with a bunch of other people. Because it just doesn't seem to go well. Like, I, I don't want to get sick for a week. Can you imagine what would happen to your productivity? It's definitely not inclusive to Im- immunocompromised people. So I guess nothing should come back. Let's just do our Zoom happy hour. It's all Maggie's fault for hating on the Zoom happy hour. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to bring us here. 
but Maggie, I do want to make sure we do hit on your prediction regarding, I actually don't know what this means. So I'm very curious, but social media shift. What is oh, yeah. that? I was really vague in the script. So I'm actually really curious what your guys' thoughts are on this. So I was thinking, well, first of all, I was like, shoot, I need to come up with a prediction. And I was just thinking about social media and like the changing landscape in general. Obviously, like we've talked about Twitter to death, but it got me thinking with all of these sort of like new up and coming, like, oh, Mastodon's going to replace Twitter. Post is going to replace Twitter. I don't think anything is going to actually replace Twitter, but I think we are going to shift into a social media landscape that is not one size fits all. You know, it's like when you're dating and you find a new partner and you realize like, actually, this person can't be everything for me. I still need this from my other friend and this from whatever. I think we're going to see like this social media shift where people are going to different platforms to get different things because we all crave community and having the conversations. But I don't think that we're ever going to see another Twitter, which is just like this behemoth where you're sharing like pictures of the foods you eat and also getting your news and also talking to your friends. Like I think we're going to have all of these kind of like little baby ones pop up that are more specialized, like, you know, Mastodon, you're going into the different, what are they called? Servers. Servers. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Anyway, so I just think that we're going to be getting more selective with where we spend our time. And there's going to be less and less of these huge, like, you know, Instagram, Twitter. We're going to be spending a lot less time on those. I hate that because (laughs) Twitter is the only platform where I have a following. So if Twitter dies, I go the way of the buffalo. (laughs) Natasha, you too. I've been thinking about this a lot because I'm like, yeah, I like, you know, I wanted to sell my future book off of my Twitter followers, being able to show that I can attract an audience and keep them. But I am realizing like, you know, I don't think it's crazy, Maggie, for there to be a world where like we start tweeting and it's only kind of like no one can respond to these tweets. Like I can totally see myself getting there in the near Mm -hmm. future because I don't want like the hate and the vitriol that's coming with the current vibe on the platform. So I guess like it's not going to disappear. And I think our followings will always matter there. But I also think that maybe they'll only matter in like a tech crunch news sense. And I'll post my food pictures or my personal blog on other platforms, which I'm fine with. Whatever. I'm so fatigued by by Twitter's <laughs> energy recently. It makes me so sad. Yeah. And if this prediction is true, I think it does come with a huge question mark for creators and what that means in general, you know, obviously so many creators, it's like they put all of their eggs in one basket. Like they might have like smaller followings on other platforms, but they're huge on Instagram or they're huge on Twitter, whatever that is. Although I guess it's a lot harder to make money on Twitter. But yeah, I think that that audience is always going to be there and it's going to take a lot for people to like fully migrate and not use Twitter. But I just think that like the way we interact with it is going to shift a lot. And like, where the real connection comes or whatever might just be happening in these like smaller, more exclusive spaces. Totally. Alex hates it. (laughs) We can all have eight followers. I mean, we already have group texts. I don't necessarily want a group text with these people that I (laughs) connect with in different communities. That might be a little too intimate for some of it. Substack is trying to make you though, honestly, like they created that like chat feature. And I was like, I don't want to chat. I mean, like I'm thankful, but I want to chat. (laughs) Substack lately's product sense seems kind of like a kid who had too much Red Bull and was like, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do this. And then they're just like doing woo, like willy nilly. And I'm like, you guys realize that all we want is a blog that can go out via email with real-time analytics. And you're still not doing the third part of that. So just fix the analytics and then we're happy. All right, let's put media aside and stop talking about our own little corner of the world. Deep 
tech or just more tech in general, like, like actually a core substance. I have a quick one, which is that I think generative AI next year will remain in its toy phase. I don't think we're going to see a lot of enterprise grade stuff built off of the current generation. That does not mean it's not fun, interesting, exciting, cool, and a place where VCs will put way too much money way too early. I just don't think the tech is going to kind of get out of the... Um, the playpen for the next 12 months. And I'm curious if anyone thinks that I'm wrong because I would love to be wrong and have this progress faster than I'm thinking, but I'm being a little bit pessimistic and I'm curious if that's too much. I think especially with stuff like AI, there's so much of like the learning component. Like it isn't like starting a SaaS company where like you really just need the back end and the idea to kind of get stuff off the ground. Obviously it's more complicated than that, but AI, there's just so much back end before you can even get even like the silly stuff people are using now, like that's a huge software backend. So I kind of agree with you that I think we're going to see a lot of companies get formed and we're going to hear a lot of interesting press releases and see a lot of interesting communication about things people are hoping to use it for. But I don't think any of that stuff will hit the market anytime soon. I think we'll hear about it, but I don't think I think you're right in the sense of we're never going to actually get a real use. Well, not never actually. We're not going to get a real use case for it for quite a while. Yeah. I'm curious also if this ends up pushing us anything closer towards kind of like um, generalized AI, like if, if this actually gets us closer or if we're still pursuing things that are sufficiently siloed that they're not actually building towards something larger. It does seem lately like something's changed, something's gotten better, faster, smarter in the ML world, but it, it's hard to tell from where I'm sitting, at least given my relative ignorance about <clears throat> math, uh, <laughs> if we're adding up to much more than, than what we currently have. Let's keep moving along. Teresa, we're pulling you back in. We're talking about how it's unlikely that we're going to see AI regulation. Yeah, actually kind of going off of your thought that it's going to remain a toy. What's been on my mind recently is, I'm sure you guys have all seen it, the Lenza AI trend where everybody wants to see themselves as their D&D character or whatever. <laughs> and so the thing with that is, yes, sure, it's fun for users. But Taylor Hatmaker actually did a piece on this about how the stable diffusion that it works off of, the pieces that it was trained on are actually from artists who did not consent to their pieces being used and can't really pull those pieces back and reclaim their ownership. So because, like Alex was saying, this is remaining a toy, I feel like people think that it's lower priority. It's not going to get any sort of regulation around it. There's not going to be any sort of creator protection. And I wish there would be, but that's my thought. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I feel like as you were saying that, I'm like thinking there's this weird parallel between what NFTs did about like art and ownership and then what AI is doing about like de ownership. That's not even a word. What's the word? <laughs> it's like two end of the year for me to make smart no, noise. Like but, where, where does the commons end? Yeah, it's, it's just like it's weird that like we're seeing these two like 2022 or 2021 was all about everyone should have a, their signature and proof of everything on it. And AI is very much like, who cares? Like, let's just have fun and have art, which it just feels like a weird clash of like for artists to be setting in and... I guess I didn't put that together until you said that, Teresa. No, and also remember the the person who won a, an art contest. Did I think it was digital art, or it was created via AI? Remember, and they won like an art contest, and there was all this controversy about it. And it mm. feels like a long time ago. Yeah, things like that, and now with the new OpenAI Chat GBT, whatever that. How do we pronounce a thing? I don't know. Like, <laughs> there's all sorts of there's there's kind of an uproar around that as well. It's like. It's here's the thing we've been talking about for years and years. And now that it's like really manifesting in, in these different ways, people seem really scared and not happy about it. Yeah. And I always think it's worth bringing up Haya Youngkamps also wrote about this. 
with any of these AI trends or where you're like putting in pictures, whatever, it's really, really easy to create like unconsensual porn with Mm -hmm. it. So it's like really easy. Basically, all he did in the article was like take someone's face and Photoshop it on a naked woman's body and then put it in and it just made like all of these like explicit images. And so I think obviously the like artist rights, like, you know, their art being stolen needs to be regulated by I think of the utmost importance too is like just people's safety because I think with any of these things, there's like a shadow side that can just like immediately be turned on. Right. And and it always will be. I, I think my question here is back to Teresa, do you think that the AI regulation that we're not going to have will eventually touch on the stuff that we're talking about like down the road? Will we ever get there? I guess. I don't know. Cause we actually had a conversation like this tying back to Maggie's point about deep fakes and AI porn that there are just ways too many loopholes and too many areas that would need to have really, really specific rules around for any of this to actually work. So short answer, I don't think so. I think it's just it's so important to hear some questions being raised. And I feel that there's this really weird tech optimism vibe on Twitter right now. How many times can I say vibe on Twitter in one episode also? (laughs) But I just feel like there's this weird thing of like, why are people so anti the future of how things work? And it's like, no, I mean, I feel like this is our job is to raise questions. And I'm preaching to the choir. But I just wanted to say that too, because it's it's really annoying me recently. I also think the important piece when we talk about regulations is just how slow it takes regulators to kind of learn about, especially some of these more like cutting edge new industries. I mean, those poor regulators, they're still figuring out crypto. They got a long way to go. (laughs) There's a lot in the pipeline. Like, I would love there to be more regulation in this space, but like, it's going to take a while. Hopefully yeah, not I, I love long, it. Though. There was a there was a, a bit of news that came out in mid December talking about how the government's been looking at Binance since 2018, and at the same time, everyone's like, "Why isn't SBF currently in Fort Knox, in jail, behind bars, <laughs> upside down?" And I'm like, "It's going to take like years to figure out what right. the hell was even going on." He doesn't know what was going on, <laughs> so you know, it's it's going to take a minute. Regulation always will lack technology, and that brings us to well, crypto. We're going to be a little bit brief here to avoid going on for like six years about crypto because it's been a big topic in 2022. And I feel like we've kind of beat the horse until it's pretty dead. Here's a non-controversial prediction. I think that NFTs will remain depressed until they develop a real use case, which people have been promising for a long time and is yet to manifest because it doesn't exist yet. And I don't think it's going to happen next year, but I didn't want to be too negative. So I'm just saying until something arrives, OpenSea is not going to rise again. Any complaints? Looking... Nope. All right. Marianne, over to you. Yeah, you know how I feel about NFTs. So anyway, (laughs) yeah, I mean, when it comes to crypto, I think about how the last year, the beginning of this year, it was all like this wild, I picture like a New Year's Eve party and like people in a nightclub, loud music and, you know, lots of lights and just people partying, going crazy, ah, you know, whatever. And now it's just like somber, quiet you know, freaked out vibe. So I don't know, the way I I feel like it's going to be playing out, at least here in the startup world is, again, hopeful, wishful thinking, maybe, is that players in the crypto space are going to be more careful. They're not going to uh, do things like we saw with FTX and just all that's happened is going to weed out some of the less honorable players in the space. I hope so. But the question is, if you weed out all the less honorable players in the crypto space, what do you have left? (laughs) 
<laughs> oh no, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that and and say I disagree that there are no honorable players in the crypto space. I do think it's only happening because FTX collapsed. Like I think this would have. Ha- I think even with the winter, the crypto winter, I think it would have taken a couple more layoffs, shutdowns for this to actually put crypto in its place. But I feel like FTX and just like the world's eye on this company that checks all the worries of crypto companies is truly going to impact the sector much more than like one D to C IPO going badly. This feels a lot different. <laughs> but we've seen a number of D to C IPOs go badly. <laughs> and they still got funding. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll just say this. Sam Bankman fried may have betrayed a great number of people in his space, in the world of crypto, but he's betrayed a much more important cohort of people, which is uh, men who look like and wear shorts all the time. And as a proud (laughs) member of this contingent, I'm just saying for a second that I thought we had a leading light who was going to bring slacker unformal fashion to Congress. And instead, uh, he's going to take it apparently to the penitentiary. So uh, a disappointment, I think, for for my sartorial cadre. But Natasha, we have a couple of PSAs, if you will. Yes, a couple of PSAs. So we are working on a bonus episode of listener and staff predictions. We want to hear from you. So, you know, we did that 2022 headline tweet and it did super well. We'll probably have something out on Twitter. So just keep your eyes out on all of our feeds. And we will, of course, be back next week. But this is our last episode with the full crew. And Alex, I'm not going to cry this episode, but I'll probably cry the first Monday without you. I'm going to miss you so much. I know. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Just dancing. The correct energy. Uh, Yeah, I'm not not dying. I'm not quitting. I haven't been fired that I'm aware of. I'm having a kid. I think we talked about it a bunch, so I need to go over it again. By the time you hear this, I should be hallucinatingly tired, I think. So let's hope, let's hope that's the case. And I promise if you send me a cute onesie for the baby to wear, I will try to remember who sent it and take a picture of the child and text you. Uh, If I don't, it's because I've lost my mind. (laughs) All right. Fashion show for sure needs to happen. And Becca is going to be joining Equity for the first few months of the year. So Becca, um, I know everyone's already in love with you internally and listeners too. Everyone's super excited. Thank you for being game to, to jump on the show with our weird crew. No, of course. Happy to be asked and really happy to be a part of it. I hope that so, is actually good news for all the listeners. Some is. listener at home right now is like, damn it. <laughs> no, it, it's really good news. But I, I'm just curious that while we have Maggie on the show, let's make it awkward. Why are you overhanging out with the found podcast before you jump over onto the good ship equity? Like we were talking about this like traitor, betrayer. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like this. This uh, <laughs> Your sisters, you're not enemies. You're sister pods. We can share Becca. <laughs> Daryl's Canadian charm pulled me right in. <laughs> yeah. I might, I might join Found too, honestly. <laughs> I have so much That's time it. and so much Her free time. To canceled. No one's allowed to go anywhere. <laughs> um, but while we're at it and I can do my producer duty, everyone <laughs> should go listen to Found. If you can't get enough of Becca, we do great interviews with startup founders and Alex jokes, but I know that he loves it. Um, and we also have the TechCrunch podcast, which comes out on Fridays. And in January, we'll have Chain Reaction coming back, which is our crypto podcast. Let's go. That's a prediction for next year. TechCrunch podcasts are going to be amazing. Wow. Oh, oh yeah. A plus. The TechCrunch Podcast Network. <laughs> oh, my God. Actually, that sounds so cool. Doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, as long as equity remains the biggest and most important and most popular of the shows, I'm fine with that. Everyone else can come gather around our campfire and warm themselves. Well, Alex is back when he has a baby. We're, I can't wait to like compare and contrast his care for equity dominance oh. before the baby and then after the baby's gonna be like I care I, equity yes not, hello goodbye not bye. 
to mention the energy level. Like we're going to have to like take recordings and compare, right? Like the energy level. Uh, (laughs) I was about to say some really sweet things about the the team uh, on my way out the door, but now I might, no, I'm kidding. I I just want to say that equity has been around, I think for six, six years now, something like that. And it's been a consistent part of my life for a very long time. And I have never had more fun than this year. And I don't think we've ever had a better team on the show. And I just want to say thanks to all of you. Maggie, we don't see as much of you as we used to, but you were an enormous part of keeping the show alive. Becca, I'm so glad to have you on. Teresa, you've been an amazing ad on the production side. Marianne, you've stepped in perfectly. And of course, Natasha, you and I talk 80,000 times a week. Um, so just a, a big thanks to to all of you. And also thank you for keeping it running while I'm gone. I'll be back. Yay. Best of luck. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Equity Fridays are hosted by myself, Editor-in-Chief of TechCrunch Plus, Alex Wilhelm, and TechCrunch Senior Reporters, Natasha Mascarenas and Mary Ann Azevedo. We're produced by Teresa Loconsolo, with editing by Kel Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development, and Henry Pickovet manages TechCrunch audio products. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back next week.